Uh, Y'all have made the atmosphere conducive for preaching. And so um, it is quite possible I may not stay up here. Um, uh, because, how, and can it be? That's shouting ground right there. And uh, if you're not on shouting ground there, then you need to get your shouter fixed. Hey, man. And, um, and so what a privilege um, it is to be here with you. I got really excited. I thought I was going to be here Friday night. I heard there was going to be a conflict. <laughs> Now, that's my kind of show right there. I, I can do that. I might not be able to do anything else, an instrument or anything. I could throw it at you. Um, I could put a tuba over your head, and um, you would be in a tuba. But um, I, I play the radio half the time. Half the time, it's static. And so, um, but I do love good music. And um, I might not know much about music, but I do know what bad music is. And um, I'm very thankful for the music here. And um, I always, and and by the way, let me encourage you in this. It is possible to write spiritual contemporary music. You got to remember the two elements of spiritual music. It is spiritual words and spiritual music, spiritual lyrics, I'm sorry. But, um, but here, when you put carnal to anything spiritual, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And so um, I'm very thankful for the music here. And um, we thank God for uh, your ministry. What a privilege it is to be here with you. And um, I love young people. I love investing in the next generation. Be praying for us at Glory Baptist Church. Um, Our structural engineer, all right, so on March 5th or 7th, 7th, when we got to see the building on the 6th, our building was hit by a tornado. It took off about eight feet of our roof, um, which then opened up our sanctuary. We now have skylights in the auditorium, and that is awesome, Um, a neat feature. Um, And if you come on certain days, we have a beautiful water feature across half our stained glass. And so um, that's, that's pretty awesome. And, um, and, and here, I, I keep hearing, and, and please, let me encourage you, let me encourage you. Please don't walk up to our family and say, oh, we're sorry to hear about your building. All right. Um, we have been praying for eight months that God would give us a building. Now, I didn't anticipate him to knock out half of ours to get that. Um, but a structural engineer came this last week, and, um, and he... <laughs> And I love structural engineers because they just kind of look at, apparently I'm in the wrong business, Uncle Wayne. I'm in the wrong business because all a structural engineer does is takes a level, puts it on your wall, takes a picture and says it's plumb. And then gets paid thousands of dollars to tell you that that wall right there looks like it might need some attention. Well, I could have told you that. And this this, this did my heart well. Just pull it back into place. Okay. I hook there, I hook there, and ratchet. Like, that's, that's how we're going to get that done. And so, so that, was, that was awesome. And so, um, so pray for us, though. I am, I'm the kind of guy that does not sit still well. And um, I've had to sit still for a month. And I, every time I walk into our sanctuary, it's just 
fiberglass everywhere, glass everywhere, and um, I can't touch anything. But God has answered prayers, and I'm excited at what God is going to do. As a matter of fact, we're meeting in our fellowship hall, which is our downstairs. We just got that finished, remodeled in December. And we have a beautiful, packed area where we can come in, but the Lord is working. We last two Sundays, we've seen someone come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And um, we believe God is going to grow us through this. And I've promised the Lord, I will not be a doubting Thomas. I've talked to preacher after preacher that has said, oh, my building project about killed me. I said, I told Tracy, I said, well, I guess I need to go on a diet so I don't have a heart attack. Apparently, this thing's going to kill us. And I told the Lord, I said, I'm vowing to you now, I will not be a complainer. I will not be a doubter of what you are going to do. God wants to do something special with each and every one of us. He does not save you and take you through things just to sit you on the shelf and do nothing for his honor and his glory. And sometimes we can get lost in the, uh, now it's been a while since I've been in college. Now, I spent more years in college than the average student does. Matter of fact, I was the first person to receive an honorary bachelor degree from Fairhaven Baptist College. And so they're like, we just got to get him out of here. All right, just get, get him. He is not fitting the molds. Get him out of here. And so, um, so I, may not, I may not have the pedigree or the degrees but do you know, I, I can identify with Paul or Peter. When he stood before the rulers, they said they are ignorant and unlearned. But they've been with Jesus. It doesn't matter. Here, education is important. All right, you'll focus. We ought to play skillfully. We ought to have, there ought to be a sense of excellence with everything that we, we do. But please understand this, that's all null and void unless you've been with Jesus. It's not going to accomplish you anything. You will get the world's attention and you will be able to uh, put on the shows and you'll be able to have everything um, that this world has to offer. But you will miss out on the greatest joy and that is the joy of the Lord and bringing glory to him. And you know what's amazing? When we, we deflect the glory to him, he exalts. That's exciting. So, um, so over the next, next two days, I want to be a help to you. Um, I, we're going to start off. I, we've been on quite a journey ourselves um, my, in my life of what the Lord has brought us through. And I'm very thankful for the investment of dad and mom. Now, if you don't know who dad and mom is, that's Dr. Jim and Miss Rhonda. All right. And so, um, so if you hear me call Dr. Van Geldren, Uncle Wayne, that's why. All right. So, um, but, but here I, I've, I've received a lot of help. And one of the things coming into the next, these two days was help us help others. All right. Now this is what I want to ask. How many of you come from a bus background or, or just a, um, a broken home, never went to church? Now, please understand what I'm, I understand that even in Christian homes, we are broke. All right, and sin, and we, we are real good at hiding sin from parents. I know that. All right, but please, all right, if you're similar to my background, I, I started riding on the church bus when I was 10 years old. You say, I was taken to church by a bus or some grandma lady down the road. Is that your testimony? One. All right, so 
Right? We're gonna, if you say, well, I was taken to church by mom and dad or, or mom or dad, but I was taken to church. All right, so you and I have polar opposite experiences. Okay, but I, I'm, I'm here to encourage you a little bit. And I figured that would be the case. You're not going to be reaching people that are being brought to church by mom and dad. You're going to be reaching the people that have my background. And I understand in churches, listen to me, I understand bad things happen to good people in churches. Uh, men, uh, men of God are doing ungodly things that grieves my soul. Hearing every week of this pastor and this pastor and this pastor going to jail, out of the ministry, this, that, and the other, because they are defiling young people. I can't do anything about that. They have made their choices, but I can, I, listen, I can take God's word and let him work in my heart and in my life. And that's what I'm going to ask you over the next two days. Listen, I want to help you help people. I want to tell, I'm going to give you some things that God has done in my heart and in my life over the last several years. Take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter number four. Luke chapter number four. Do you stand for the reading normally? Do you normally do it though? No. Okay. All right. Very good. So Luke chapter number four, beginning in verse number one, we find Jesus um, he is, chapter number three, he has come out of his baptism. Chapter number four, he is now filled, in verse number one, filled with the Spirit of God. If Jesus has to be filled with the Spirit of God, what about you? I, I, I think that we can all agree, if Jesus needed the filling of the Spirit, then I desperately need the filling of the Spirit because Jesus was God and I'm not God. Matter of fact, far from it. Experienced his mercy this morning. I don't like your speed limits here in Appleton. <laughs> 40, 30, 25, 15, 25, 30, 30, 40, 40, 40. That sounds like I'm, I'm getting ready. Yeah, going to an auction like right there. Soul! Police officer coming out right behind you. <laughs> Pay the man. <laughs> now you see why I'm shocked that I am here. <laughs> I don't think the, yeah, see, exactly, exactly. I don't normally wear one of these in the fellowship hall of our church. <laughs> but, but here, I, this morning, zone 45 and a 20, apparently. Police officer sitting right there. <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus, have mercy. <laughs> he goes across the other way. Praise the Lord, somebody else was going faster than I was. <laughs> All, right. All I'm saying is that I need Jesus. And if Jesus needed to be filled with the Spirit, then setting an example for me, I need to be filled with the Spirit. But I think it's very interesting in, in the second part of that verse, Jesus being filled full of the Holy Ghost was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So, so what I'm finding right here is I cannot be led by God unless I'm filled with His Spirit 
to know where he wants me to go. But then in verse number 14, we find that Jesus returned out of the wilderness in the power of the Holy Ghost. So that leads me, I, now I'm pretty simple. I'm glad, I'm glad Jesus told the disciples, speak plainly to people. All right, I'm one of those simple people. I like things plain. Um, you often hear it, I like it on the bottom shelf. I don't, I like it the middle shelf. Do you know why? You don't have to bend over. Hey, man. All right? I want it right there. That's good range. There to there. That's, that's good range for me. If you get to certain points here, little people can't reach it. That's where we put the real good cookies. Hey, man. But here it is. He says he was full of the Holy Ghost. He was led by the Spirit. And now he returns in the power of the Spirit. So that leads me to think that if I want to be led by him, I must be filled with him. If I want to have his power, I must follow him. When he leads and guides us, when I yield myself to God, he then empowers And what happens next is astounding to me. We see he is filled with the Holy Ghost. He is led by the Holy Ghost. He now has the power. He then goes into the synagogue and proclaims the word of God. Young men, young ladies, you cannot do the work of God apart from the power of God. And you cannot do the, the, you cannot have the power of God unless you are following or being led by the Spirit. And you cannot be led if you are not filled. That is why it is essential for us to be filled with the Holy Ghost. We need God to work today. But before we get in, that's all introduction. Praise the Lord. Shame on the devil. And we could stop right there. By the way, we could stop right there and we could say we met with God. I know it's nothing new. You, I, I don't know how often y'all preach on spirit-filled living. I imagine it's more than the average church. Yet, yesterday, Was there any point in your life where you did not yield to the Spirit? Where you lacked power? Mm. It's very applicable for us today. But let's ask God to arrest our attention on the next few verses. And let's ask God to really work in our hearts this morning. God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this opportunity. Lord, I, I, I need you. All is vain unless the Spirit comes down. Help us now over the next few moments to meet with you in a great way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to preach a message entitled, The Binder of the Broken. The Binder of the Broken. We see that he is now uh, come into the synagogue in verse number 16. He stood up to read. And by the way, I want you to notice something in verse number 16. As his custom was. 
Do you know Jesus was a man of routine? You knew where you were going to find him on Saturday. He was going to be at the synagogue. How do I know that? Because he acted according to his custom. Oftentimes, study, study the scriptures, study through the life of Christ, see how he interacted with people. And after he had a massive ministry um, um, experience, I, I don't know, I don't know what else to say. The multitudes here, people will turn to him. He's got new disciples. He's feeding the five thousand. He's sending. He's constraining his disciples to go into the sea. What did he normally do after a big old meeting? He resorted away to pray. They knew where they were going to find him. They knew where they were going to find him in the quiet time. Even, even the last 12 hours of his life, what does he do when they leave the upper room? They go and he says, hey, I've got to pray. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and, and, and has it ever thought, that this, this is just mind-boggling to me. How did Judas know to find him there? Because last time I checked, it wasn't, Jesus didn't lay out their plans. Hey, uh, just so you know, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and then we're going to get into the night and I'm going to go to uh, uh, Caiaphas' house and then I'm going to go meet Pilate and then I'm going to go to Herod and I'm going to go do this and I'm going to hang on the cross and I'm going to die. Like, there wasn't, Jesus didn't give them the schedule. How did Judas know that they were in the Garden of Gethsemane? Because it was a place he was familiar with. And here it is, he's in his place. He is in his place as his custom was. Listen, church folks know, don't call me at 10 o'clock in the morning on Sunday mornings. Now, it, it is astounding to me. How many people will call me at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning? Like, oh, pastor. I'm, I, that, I remember one time I answered phone in church. I said, I'm in church right now. They're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I put on speakerphone. I was like, now apologize to the people you've interrupted. <laughs> now, you would probably never do that, and I probably wouldn't advise you to do that. Probably not one of my finer moments, but I didn't get any phone calls at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning from her anymore. But we come to this, Jesus, his, he had a custom. And he's in, he's, in, he's in the synagogue. He's in church. And there was delivered unto him the book of Isaiah. And when he had opened it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering the sight to the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and he sat down and the eyes of the, all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Today, I want us to meet the binder of the broken. Because when we meet him, our eyes will be fastened on him. And if we are going to help people today, we've got to get their eyes off of us and get their eyes fastened on him.
So the first thing that I see in this passage of Scripture, I love, I love this verse, verse number 18. It says, that the Spirit of the Lord was upon, is upon me and he, because he hath anointed me. The first thing that I see right here is his consecration, his consecration. All right, here it is. He has a specific job that he has come for. Jesus now at roughly 30 years old, he has now come. He has got, been baptized. He has been tempted in all points as we are. If you go through the temptation and look at what he went through, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life were all set before Jesus. And how did he defeat the wicked one? He used scripture. Please, let me, let me, let me encourage you in something. You need to know your enemy. You need to be, be not ignorant of his devices. He doesn't change his playbook. He hasn't changed his playbook since the days of Jesus. He still brings the same three temptations to you and to me in varying degrees. That's why we're not to be ignorant of his devices. One of the greatest books that I've ever read in my entire life, and I encourage all young men and young ladies to read it, is um, 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 uh, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, Thomas Brooks, 1652. It's an old book. It is. And I love how Thomas Brooks wrote because he gives the bait, the device, and then gives the remedy scripturally. He baits the hook. That's what Satan does. He wants to bait the hook just like you and I do when we go fishing. Nobody puts a hook just in the water. That's not going to accomplish anything. You do much better noodling. How many of you know what noodling is? Uh, some of you. All right, for those of you that have not that education, let me help you. <laughs> it is when you lose your mind, step into a riverbank, and put your hand in a hole that you cannot see down inside. Let a catfish then swallow your arm, and you hopefully will slide your hand through its gills and then pull it out of the water. That's the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And you can say amen all you want, but I'm a big guy. I am not putting my hand in a dark hole that I cannot see the bottom of. Nuh-uh. Not doing it. But here it is. Hey, Satan, he hides the hook. And so, and then it's too late. If you take the bait, it's too late. Jesus throws him, he, he throws the devil off of his game because the devil's not used to defeat. I can't help but think the devil's starting to get some, some uh, remembrance of what happened with Job. He's now interacting with Jesus. And man, I, Job, Job, I, listen, we, I understand Job had problems, but God brought things into his life. It wasn't God's fault. Those evil things did not befall Job because God is mean and they're trying to get him back. No, you, you, please understand this. We are dealing with a society where bad things have happened to people that cannot understand. This past Sunday, I was dealing with a man, giving him assurance of salvation, and he started opening up about things that happened to him when he was 18 years old of being abused and defiled. We have about 12, 13 people in our church that have got massive trauma in their background. It's amazing to me how the devil, he, he gets a hold and he says, hey, I've got them. Oh, no, 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 no. They, they met the binder of the broken. 
And see, Jesus is here. He comes out and he, he now sets forth and he says, his consecration is I'm to preach the gospel to the poor. I'm to declare good news to those that are cast down, to those that are fallen, to those that are frightened. That's what I'm supposed to do. I then see number two, his commission, and he hath sent me. We see his consecration, but then we see his commission. What's, what's his commission? Number one, uh, letter A under number two, for those of you taking outline form. I, it took me a long time. I had to look that up. Letter A, to heal the brokenhearted. To make whole or complete those that are completely entirely shattered in feelings and thoughts. He said, that's what I'm sent for. That's my commission. B is to preach deliverance to captives, to herald freedom to prisoners of war. Now, it's interesting to me, and we will, we, we will look at this again, uh, but, but the first two are connected. There's just a comma that's separating these two. They are in connection, and then we find the word and, we go to the next two. It says, and um, the, the third thing is recovering the sight to the blind. It's restoration uh, to those physically or mentally burdened. And then D is to set at liberty them that are bruised, withdrawn, withdrawn to freedom, those that are crushed or separated into pieces. See, Jesus is sent not just to have a good time and not just to go to the cross, and, and we have glorified the cross. Now, it ought to be glorified in its rightful place. Listen to me. Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. But now there are churches today that they want to get up and they want to paint these pretty crosses. The cross is not a pretty emblem to just put on your church building so that you can say, we are Christ-centered. No, 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 no. The cross is there for you and for me when he picked us up out of the depths, out of the muck and the mire of this world, and he set my feet upon a rock, and he established my goings. He did that through the cross. So we see, we see his commission but I, that's, this, that, that's not really the point I want to really get at. What I want you to see today are his credentials. See, if he is going to be the binder of the broken, I, I understand his consecration. That makes sense. The son of God's to come and die for man. I can't comprehend it. I don't understand it. And I'm not going to pretend to. But in, in my mind, that kind of makes sense. Well, we've got to have a second Adam to help get us back to the place of the first Adam into a perfect relationship with Jesus Christ or with God, the Father. But I want you to see his credentials. See, he couldn't, he couldn't be an all-sufficient Savior if he didn't meet the needs of all those that he would eventually represent. What are his credentials? Well, let's think about the poor. 2 Corinthians chapter number 8 and verse number 9 says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. 
He was made poor. Where did he have to lay his head when he was born? In a feed trough. Concrete feed trough. Not this elegant, bright light shining down, hay all around him, making sure that his head's not. No, 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 no. He was swaddled in cow garments. The stuff that they used to clean up the snot off of the animals, he was swaddled in that. How many of you have been swaddled in cow snot? No? Oh. Hey. I've never been that poor. Now, listen, I come from Trailer Parkville, Tennessee. I've seen a thing or two. But I've never been swaddled in cow snot. That's pretty poor. How many of you have got somewhere to lay your head tonight? The Son of Man came and he had not a place to put his head. Foxes have holes. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He was poor. He didn't have a place to call his own. He was brokenhearted. He was despised and rejected according to Psalm, uh, Isaiah 53 and verse number 3. He was despised and rejected. He bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He was wounded. He was oppressed. That word oppressed means to look down upon or browbeaten. Hey, can you think of a time where he was browbeaten? Where they took that crown of thorns and they set it upon his head and said, Worship the king of the Jews, and then smote him upon his head. He was browbeaten for you and for me. The scripture tells us in Psalm 22 that he, uh, his heart melted within him like wax. Um, I, I, I've, I've read John R. Rice, and I, I kind of believe along the same line of John R. Rice that, that Jesus Christ, hey, I, I understand there's uh, medical uh, terms and all this stuff for the bleeding in the Garden of Gethsemane, but I wholeheartedly believe that his heart ruptured from the stress and the gravity of what was about to take place. Let this cup pass from me, but not my will, thine be done. And it was exceeding sorrowful. I believe his heart ruptured. The Bible says in Psalm uh, 69 and verse number 20, reproach hath broken my heart. In verse number 21, it says they gave me vinegar to drink and gall. Here it is. I, I don't know about you, but that sounds like my Savior when he was on the cross. I'm so thankful for the day that he said, I thirst. See, because as you read through the scriptures, I find it very interesting. The last mention of a cup is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let this cup pass from me, not my will, thine be done. I know that the scriptures had to be fulfilled that he said he thirsted. The Bible says that he was so dry, his tongue clave to his mouth. I understand all of that, but I wholeheartedly believe that there was a dual purpose of him saying, I thirst. I believe he said, I'm ready to become the very thing you abhor and he God made him Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God he's experienced a broken heart he's got the credentials captive 
He was a captive to the cross. Before the foundation of the world was laid, he knew he would be the lamb slain for sin. There was no getting away from the cross. But here, you say, well, well, that just doesn't make sense to me. That's okay. It doesn't have to make sense for you. I, I'm telling you what the scriptures tell us, that Jesus knew that he came to be the sacrifice for you and for me. And here he is. He now is bound. He is bound four different times through this night. He is bound in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is then taken to Annas. Annas binds him and sends him to Caiaphas. Caiaphas binds him and takes him to Pilate. Pilate leaves him bound, takes him to Herod, brings him back, scourges him, and then binds him to the cross. He understands what it is to be a captive. I love this. Isaiah talks about the captive leading the captive free. He's got the credentials. He was blind. The blind, recovering the sight of the blind, that's those that are burdened down. Do you think Jesus carried a burden in the Garden of Gethsemane? He tells, the, the, he tells eight to stay at the door, goes in with the inner three, and the Bible says he became sorrowful and he went a stone's throw away and became exceeding sorrowful he was bruised he was bruised for our iniquities where's the first place we find of this prediction we find this in genesis chapter number three and verse number 15 he says you will bruise his heel but he will bruise your head. That word bruise that is used there means, watch this, this is so good, to crush completely. To crush, to grind, to fine powder. Are you ready for, this is so good, this is so good. In Romans chapter number 6, or 16, we find the enemy will be bruised same definition. Under whose feet? Our feet. Shortly. He was bruised for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. He took our burden upon him. So what does that mean for you and for me? We understand he's got his consecration. He's got his commission. We're almost done. Are you ready? This is very simple. We see his credentials. Do you see how Jesus meets every parameter that is set forth to accomplish what God has sent him for do, to do? Do you see that? For what? For what? Your completion. I love, my favorite book of the Bible is Colossians chapter, uh, Colossians, there's only four chapters. Simple for me. It starts talking about Jesus, hey man. And it ends with people looking like Jesus, hey man. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I need right there. In the middle of it, it tells us this, as ye have received him, so walk ye in him. Not after the rudiments of this world, not after the philosophies of this world that are not rooted in Christ. He said, no, rooted, built up, established in the faith. In verse number 10, he says, ye 
or in verse number nine, in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead. Ye are complete in him. See, the day you trusted Jesus Christ, your personal savior, all that brokenness, all the issues, I love this and we're going to be done. He says, I put you in my hand and I put my hand in the father's hand and no man can pluck you out, but you're ready for the triple guarantee. He then takes his hands and he dips them, seals them in the spirit. And right there, nothing, nothing, nothing can pull you out of his hand. This is what we are trying to get people to understand, is that Jesus has a, a consecration. He's, we see he has a commission, but he's got the credentials to complete you.